Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Life of Die podcast. I'm Gordon, your regular host, and today I'm joined by Jason Ward, Jason Piercy, and James Masingo, who are the creators of the Real Thing role-playing game, which is going live on Kickstarter today. Hello, guys. How you doing? Not bad yourself. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And it's uh, I'm delighted to have you on board here. The reason I'm really excited about this is because regular listeners will know that I'm a big fan of role-playing games, but what they probably don't know is that my favourite band for almost as long as I've been doing role-playing has been Faith No More, and the fact that this game is inspired by the album that started it all for me, the real thing, is a big... <laughs> it's like crossing the streams, it's uh, it's perfect, it just seemed like the thing I had to talk about, had to talk to you about, so thanks for coming on. So... I suppose the best thing to do is to ask you each to introduce yourselves right now. If you can tell the listeners a little bit about your roles in the project and your history with Faith No More, how and when did you discover them and what is your favourite song and album of theirs? And they don't have to be from the same album. <laughs> sure, yeah, this is Jason Ward. I'll, I'll jump in first since this was all my horrible idea in the beginning. <laughs> I, I've been a Faith No More, much like you, I've been playing uh, role-playing games most of my existence, and Faith No More has been a big part of that for myself as well. And um, the two the two meeting is a little bit of a dream and a little bit of a, I don't know, a cr- crashing of two worlds that I never thought would, would come together. You know, me, me out there trying to publish something and being able to do that with something that's been a great hobby of mine for so long, and it's uh, it's been pretty great. So I am primarily the a co-creator and writer on the project. I'm doing also some of the board or the the book layout and things like that. Um, but mostly, I've been doing uh, just ideation and, and writing of the book itself, mm-hmm. uh, along with Jason Piercy. And my favorite song has got to be "Ugly and Don't Look at Me, I'm Ugly in the Morning." And I don't know why. Just every time it comes on, it makes me just bang. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's not my favorite album, and it's a solid album, uh, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. My favorite album is still definitely Angel Dust, just all the way through. Uh, um, beginning to end is solid. I love every song on that album. Even the closing track, Midnight Cowboy, just puts me in a mood. So I, I love that album so much. Yeah, that's that's me. I'll kick it over to Jason Piercy. Right on. Well, uh, that's me, Jason Piercy. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, on this project, I'm primarily a writer. And I, I, like I said, I've grown up with Jason Ward. We went to high school together, middle school together, grew up playing uh, role-playing games together, and Faith Moore was right along there. I think, like, I can remember so many times, and, and legit, yeah, Angel Dust, definitely my favorite album. We'd be playing D&D, rocking out to Angel Dust, like, just having a good time when we were kids. And uh, I also knew James through role-playing games. We used to LARP together uh, for Vampire LARPs when I lived up in Chicago, or the Chicago area. And, uh... Man, favorite song. That's like, that's a rough question. <laughs> You've only had a couple days to think about it. Yeah, it's like impossible. It's like, it's like a jizz lobber or it's um, Paths of Glory or King for a Day. And I really can't decide between those three. That's okay. I won't, I won't hold you to it. And favorite album? Well, favorite album is definitely Angel Dust. Angel Dust, sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. Start to finish. That's just like slamming. Yeah, absolutely. And James? Hey, so see, background. I am the artist and illustrator on this project. Uh, I've been an, uh, I'm sorry, art director and illustrator. I've been an art director and illustrator in the um, gaming industry for a long time now. Uh, I've worked on a bunch of tabletop RPGs and board games and just, you know, worked in this space forever. Yeah, I, I know Piercy from the good old days back when we used to, <laughs> just used to LARP from Chicago. Uh, and then through Piercy, it's time at Ward. And, jeez, uh, uh, let's see, favorite, okay, my favorite Faith and War song hands down is motherfucker like that's just i know i that's the one f-bomb yeah. we get to use <laughs> it's hands down my favorite song i am frequently torn as my favorite album because i think you know like you know album of the year king of the day like it, there's so many good like can sit down and listen to the whole thing but if like if i want to be like totally real and gun to my head i actually think the real thing is my favorite album no, that's, <laughs> that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I think Angel Dust tends to be with the fan community their kind of overall favourite, but the real things, uh, it was definitely my introduction to it, and it's a terrific album. Angel Dust edges it for me as well, and King for a Day as well, I, I really like, although I, I do think some of it, <laughs> there's just kind of different styles in that, which is, to me, Angel Dust feels more cohesive um, than King for a Day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, oh, that's that's great. Clearly, you're you're all fans. <laughs> so 
I'm just wondering how it was that you made the leap from being a fan to making this game based on one of their best known and loved albums. Um, did <laughs> did the idea come from out of nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the short answer to that is yes, absolutely it did. Um, I was, I've told the story a couple of times now, but I was literally doing dishes, uh, listening to the real thing while I was doing it. I had my AirPods on, my kids were in the room next door watching something on Netflix, I think. And I uh, had just finished, I think it was the night before I had just watched a movie that was just like, man, that's a really solid idea for a role-playing game. And the movie's called Sucker Punch. I don't know if people are familiar with that or not, but it was just a, it hit me in the head. I was like, oh my gosh, that is the perfect one-shot role-playing game. And while I was listening the next day doing dishes to the real thing, I was like, holy cow, I think there's, I think there's one of those in here too. Uh, more than a one-shot pop, probably, but definitely a story for a game. There's a cohesive theme or series of themes that run through it, and it just has the feeling of, I don't know, there's some dread in there and a little bit of just confusion, and it just goes through the entire album. And so I, I put my gloves down in the middle of doing dishes, and I called Jason, and I was like, hey, I've got a real bad idea I want you to talk me out of. <laughs> And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 30s or 40s at this point in time. And, and so the idea of jumping in and writing my first role playing game seemed a little daunting. But I was like, I think we can make a role playing game out of out of uh, the real thing. And he was like, yeah, let's do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was not the answer I thought was going to come out of out of his mouth. He was uh, in grad school at the time. And I'll let him tell his story. But um, busy. We're all busy. We've got families and jobs and so on and so forth. And uh I was really hoping he would say, nah, I don't think there's anything there, but he did. Um, yeah, so it was a little bit out of nowhere. I, like, like I said earlier, I've been a big fan for a really long time. I don't think it's much of a leap to, to draw story elements, particularly if you're looking at the mid nineties or early nineties or late eighties when the album was uh, written. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of content in that album that is culturally relevant to that time. And it just felt like the right thing to do. From that point then, once you kind of made that decision to, you were going to do this, I was wondering at all if the, the way of delivering, an, if you like, an experience worthy of the band's reputation and if fan expectations were a consideration or did they weigh upon you at all? Um, I don't know if they really weighed upon us, but they were definitely the consideration. And from the start, we sort of just started writing and creating, creating a scenario. And we actually scrapped the very first scenario and came up with the one that, that uh, you know, everyone's going to get to go through now. Um, if they back it, go back it, please. And uh, we, were, we were working on it and talking about artists. And like, well, I got a friend who uh, I didn't realize was quite so awesome. I mean, I knew his art was awesome. But I did not realize, because I'm not like uh, trying to be a creeper on everybody's stuff. Like, oh, I, I know they're professional artists. They've worked in the industry. And it's like, it was James Single. And got a hold of James. And he said, yeah, this sounds cool. Let's talk. And then we just sort of, at a certain point, we all said, well, what if we reach out to the band? I mean, the worst thing they can say is no, right? Mm -hmm. And so we did some digging and got a hold of Tim Moss, their manager, and they didn't really know what a role-playing game was. And that's fine. Those guys are, you know, into what they're doing. And after some talking back and forth, he approached the guys and said they were on board. And from then on, we just kind of went ahead with, uh, we had some questions for them. They answered those. And we just went in that direction, making sure that, you know, what it was they wanted to be put out there that we paid attention to so you know working with them has actually been a dream and it's it's been a fantastic thing and when i say working with them it's not like we're constantly you know on the horn with them or anything but just being able to do something this cool like 15 year old me is like squeeing inside right <laughs> like oh my god i never thought this would be real because the two things that i love the most and i think you know i think many of us feel this way have just become a reality for me and I, I never would have dreamt that I'd be here. And, you know, I can't thank them enough uh, for giving us this opportunity. And I really do believe that we are, with the considerations and speaking with uh, Tim and between the three of us, we're about to deliver something that is pretty real to the time and pretty real to the album. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> That's really exciting. I mean, I, I must admit, I'd be geeking out myself about that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm quite jealous. <laughs> No, no need to be jealous. We don't know if it's going to be successful yet. So, um, you know, save, save your jealousy for after the launch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping it goes well, but... Us too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, one of the main things is that if there's a lot of people who are Faith No More fans who happen to be tuning into this and have never heard my podcast before, we're very familiar with role-playing games and tabletop games, but 
I was thinking for the casual listener who's intrigued by this little project, if one of you wanted to explain exactly what a role-playing game is. Yeah, uh, so a role-playing game is like a board game, but you don't really have a board. The board is like in your mind. <laughs> so it's, it's interactive storytelling. And the way that we present the game is everyone who's a player, sometimes referred to as a game master, and you have a difference between the game master and a player, but everyone involved gets to participate in, stel- in telling and structuring a story that's wrapped around the kind of like, you know, darker side of the 90s rock scene wrapped around Faith No More as this like grand style for the whole game. So basically, if you if you like storytelling and you want to storytell with your friends and you want to roll some dice to kind of help if, whether if something happens or doesn't happen, but really pushes the narrative side, then I would say check it out. Because I, I understand some people can be intimidated by like, oh, Dungeon Dragons and all these numbers and these big character sheets and all this stuff. It's like, no, no, no. Our game is all narrative first and numbers second. And so if you want to have just an awesome time telling this great, dark story about personal discovery and like the dark side of the this 90s rock scene, then I think they'll love it. Yeah, I, I do as well. Role-playing is just such a positive experience um, for a, a kind of close-knit group of friends. It's, I agree with you, interactive storytelling is the best way of, of thinking about it. That, in fact, I had a friend that once described it as like a kind of collective hallucination. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You're all sitting, um, yeah. You're all sitting telling this. Well, obviously, the, the game master and the writers, the, the storyteller, and, and kind of control of it, and then you're all playing characters who are interacting with a story and helping shape it. Yeah, it's it's. If you've never done it before, please try. Just give it a go, and you might actually be, <laughs> you might be surprised. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a great it's a great uh, hobby to get into, and it's it's actually very cheap as well because all you really need are, are uh, books <laughs> and uh, the games, and uh, that's it. Yeah. A bit of pen and paper and a uh, company. That's it. It's it's great. Yeah, the most expensive thing is the pizza you order yeah. for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. It's I I really love pushing yeah. playing games in regards to like it helps you be more creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps problem solving. So if you have any interest in creative avenues, you know, writing, acting, you know, design, anything like that, and you just find the active, you know, problem solving, creative problem solving, you know, like kind of, um, you know, nonlinear thought process, like totally try it out because it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Something fascinating about role playing too is it's entered the mainstream, not just in, in the form of Dungeons and Dragons and how how popular Fifth Edition has been, but if you look at therapy or anyone that does training, mm-hmm. they integrate the idea of role play or practicing a thing that is not real uh, into their in, into their processes. So uh, professionally, if you have done any training with anyone and you role play the new skills that you're learning, and if you've ever been in any form of therapy or uh, conducted therapy or any of those sorts of things, they will have you enter into a role play scenario where you are practicing or you know imagining situations so that you can get better at whatever it is you're trying to get better at. And you know, I, I think it's it is such a powerful tool for for building relationships and, as James said, for problem solving. And thinking back, the only friends I still have from high school are ones that I role played with, which that seems like something, you know. Yeah, I don't know if it was the same for you guys in the states, but certainly over here in the UK, uh, I'm Scotland, by the way. It was definitely a thing. It was not fashionable at all um, to be interested in role playing. Mm-hmm. It was like something you actually actively hid, if anything, um, from mm-hmm. other people because you knew you would be totally slaughtered for it in school. No, kids mm-hmm. are just <laughs> they've got no filter and they'll say what they think. So yeah, it was it was almost like a secret society for us. There was a group of us, about half a dozen of us. And uh, yeah, it was always a it was very, very secret. But it's been so good the last few years seeing this come into the mainstream and younger people as well um playing role playing games. So yeah, it's a really I think it's a really, really exciting time for role playing and tabletop gaming in general. So yeah, we we definitely remember coming up in the uh, Christian rights hate of anything that was role playing game, specifically mm-hmm. over here. Oh, that's interesting. Like, well, this is yeah, it was interesting. I don't know, but <laughs> it was definitely not not great. They were very ignorant. Yeah, uh, but I'm very happy to see that that it is coming out now. Like, I like I feel like a, a person that's been in the trenches is finally able to go like, oh, peace at last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
you know, I used to hide my D and D books because people thought it was Satan worship. You know, like it's yeah. insane. We yeah, we brandished it. We brandished ours like weapons because we knew those people were stupid. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. We use our intellect against them. Well, I had a I had an English teacher at school that got wind of this that I was doing this and um con- contacted <laughs> my mum to tell her I was going to be possessed by the devil and I was like, what <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> we're playing wow. science cool. fiction games here, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You're like definitely getting older, and you're like wear it as a badge of honor. And be like, yeah, it sounds awesome. But you know, when you're a kid, you know, you, you don't understand that. It's you know, culturally mm-hmm. just around the people around you. That's what you grew up with. I remember uh, J- Jason and I had a friend who played D and we was just D and D at this point in time, but in in early high school, and he used to have to tell his parents he was going to play Parcheesi when he was going to play with us. Yep. And I don't even know how to play Parcheesi. That's how bad of a lie it was. But uh, it was <laughs> it was always funny to have him say that to his parents. Absolutely. So one of the things that I thought was unusual about this project was that obviously I've seen many role-playing games which have been based in books and films and comics, and, but I was wondering, maybe there have been other ones, but I haven't come across one before where it's been almost like adapting a music a music album into a role-playing game. And I was wondering, what is it <laughs> that makes this game so uniquely a Faith No More role-playing game experience? Yeah, it's the idea of Figuring out identity, uh, working through problems like desire, addiction, and it doesn't have to be addiction to a substance, you know, that can come in many different forms. Mm-hmm. And sort of the, the wildness of the time, right? Yeah. Equally, Faith No More is that, I think, especially for the real thing, right? You know, you just think of the lyrics for that's the, the title track for that album, right? It's the pattern below the skin, you got to reach and pull it on in. It's that discovery of oneself and, and who are you? And who are you in this world? You know, the morning after. Was I just born or am I dead? Uh, and that's definitely like uh, themes. So purposely, we're, we're sort of speaking vaguely about it because there's a lot in this scenario that uh, we don't want to give away. Sure. Or it's, it's, it won't be surprised. Like, you know, one of the tracks, surprise, you're dead. Things like that. We, we take those tracks either somewhat literally or uh, figuratively and work the themes into the sandbox story that's there. And depending upon who's sitting at the table, different stuff can come out. And we've ran this for a few um, other podcasts and in playtesting, and I don't think any of us have ever had the exact same scenario happen twice. Within the boundaries of the sandbox we placed down that we used the album to create. That's amazing. <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of games, obviously, for the, for the uninitiated, they're, they're kind of railroaded, if you like, and so the outcome's always the same. And Quite often the characters will make similar decisions, um, so that's a great thing that if you've got people having completely different experiences with the game, I think that's really exciting. <laughs> and the sign of a good game as well. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It turned out surprising to us. I mean, because then that was sort of the whole point we wanted to do is is a uh, player agency is a big thing, right? And it it is definitely a scenario that takes place uh, in the early '90s. It is definitely a scenario that takes place like in and around a warehouse, but that can be anywhere. And what happens within there, you know, we have NPCs, which we were given the ability to use a likeness of uh, the band members to for some of the characters, uh, or NPCs. So we've, we've done that. And the NPCs and the story itself of what's going on actually isn't important. What the characters decide to do, and what do you all decide to do at the game table, are what's important. No, that's. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a great way to for any game to be anyway. Just getting into the kind of detail, I suppose you're using the Powered by the Apocalypse rule system to run it. I was wondering if you could maybe explain some of the basic mechanics of that and why you felt it was that was the best system for the project. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a fairly early development that we we fell into. This being Powered by the Apocalypse, which for those fam- unfamiliar with that system, is a very hack-friendly system. In other words, you can take the core of it, which is very, very simple. You need two six-sided dice. And really, you can do anything inside the framework that they've put together. Uh, Vincent Baker and uh, I believe his wife, Meg, Meg, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Meg. I'm going to say Meg. It's Meg something. Um, are the folks that came up with the initial Powered by the Apocalypse system. And there have been several games based on it that have hacked it a little bit uh, over the years. We worked with Vincent a little bit and worked with us strong. We got his permission to say that this is Powered by the Apocalypse because it stays very true to that initial core concept, which is 
make sure the players have agency. They're the only ones that are rolling dice and they're rolling proactively to accomplish things and also drive the story in a direction that they want to. And they do that through a series of opportunities that are called moves. You know, you can fight, you can persuade, you can defy danger, you can overcome obstacles. These are just examples of some of the moves that you can do. Mm -hmm. And every move leverages those 2d6 additively. So most often you're going to roll something between 6 and 9 or 6 and 10, somewhere in there, uh, depending on what your statistics are. And that's intentional. Um, when a player is given an opportunity to roll those dice to, to make a move, they generally will succeed with a complication of some sort. That's what happens when you roll something that's between 6 and 9. And Oh, I'm sorry, 7 and 9, not 6 and 9. Uh, so when you roll something between 7 and 9, which are the most common outcomes, you get to you, you get to succeed in some fashion, which is great because that feels good. You also get a complication, which presents another opportunity to overcome a challenge. And it becomes a sort of spiral, outward or inward, whichever part of the story you're in, so, so that you're accomplishing things, but you're learning more things, and things are getting difficult, but not too difficult to succeed. And it's this great balancing act, and I love it. I'm going to take a breath. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. And and what we did was hack that system and say, cool, I think, I think this is going to work out really well because, number one, we can make the game easy to play. The last thing we wanted to do was make it complex because it's really about the story and not about the system. The Powered by the Apocalypse is just about as simple as it comes other than maybe Lasers and Feelings, which is another great indie game. Oh, yeah. The other thing we wanted to do was create theme inside the activities that players could do. So for fans of Faith No More, they're going to notice that every advanced move that a character gets is named after a Faith No More song and is themed around those songs which is a lot of fun it was a lot of fun putting that together but i think it's fun for fans too when they start playing to see those those playbooks or those character sheets and say oh man i love matador that's a great song and you know they get that move because they're the stranger or what have you yeah i don't know if i'm answering your question anyway whatsoever i can talk about how fun it was to implement the system all day um but <laughs> what's important is that the powered by the apocalypse system is simple and it allowed us to layer the the theme on top of it which was fantastic yeah, I mean, I think that'll, that'll be really successful because, as I say, I'm hoping this project will bring role-playing to a, a new audience, actually. You know, that being Faith No More fans that maybe tried never tried it before. and So I, th I think it is actually a, a really good move on, on your part to make it as easy and accessible to as many people as possible because, being honest, some role-playing systems can be a bit crunchy and a bit intimidating to people that have never stepped in before, so that's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you think so. A lot of people have said, oh, this was, a, this was a great move. And to be honest, it wasn't our first thought. We were going to make a custom system that was something simple. And then we were just like, why why bother? There's so much great stuff out there, including Powered by the Apocalypse. So we went with that. I think something worth mentioning is what we added to the game. There are a couple of things that are different from standard Powered by the Apocalypse. But the big one is a mechanism called Discovery. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it is really the one contribution to the system that we are most proud of, I think. And discovery essentially is the way that you advance your character in the game. Uh, you know, some some games use experience or or milestones or something like that to to flesh out or increase the power of a character. What we did instead to fit the theme was say, okay, yeah, when you f when you fail a role, you learn something from that. You learn something about who you are and who you were. Tell us about that thing. And the way the way that we integrate that is you you gain these discoveries, and if you get enough discoveries, you gain advancements, which in this case are actually memories of who you were, as much as becoming who you were going to be, and. That is really the, I guess I would say the core of the game is discovering who you are and who you want to be and making that become a reality through the decisions that you make. And so we, we integrated that into the, or into the mechanics of the game. And uh, I, I, that's the thing I think I'm most proud of from a, from a systems perspective. Yeah, I'd never seen that before. I thought that was a really exciting idea as well. That Because one of the, the problems I find sometimes with role-playing games is that you get, and to be honest, there's nothing really wrong with this, but there are certain players who are there to roll dice. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that's sometimes really difficult, unless you're really in to get that kind of mindset, is to get people completely involved in the character and talking about um, kind of experiences that the character's had and, you know, creating that kind of background. So I think that's a really 
exciting thing that it's the, the progression is actually to do with the discovery of your character. Um, <laughs> I think that's really unique and, and really exciting. So yeah, I really liked that idea. Yeah. One of the other things I was going to ask you about was that quite often role-playing games usually fit into kind of specific genre you know pretty much same as it would be for the likes of books films and television and fantasy and science fiction tend to be the kind of dominant genres i'm guessing this might be too difficult on a question to ask because it's i know you you don't really want to tell too much about the the story itself but is there a particular genre game you would describe the real thing as being and would it is it going to be set in a land of sunshine <laughs> i would say uh a good question about land of sunshine it's a nice little dig there uh so for anyone who's familiar to like role-playing games i would say that i would compare this to world of darkness thematically it's a dark game it is you know it's about discovery it's about the it's about the dark sides of the this counterculture in the 90s and it's you know you're playing characters in this game have you know probably a dark past they're probably broken in some way they don't remember a lot about themselves and and through discovering and trying to find the the bright parts and the light shining through the cracks in the darkness so if you like darker themes if you like themes that are about you know character growth and about uh, you know expanding narrative uh if you like that kind of like 90s style world of darkness um if you've played those games, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say too much because I don't want to kind of spoil the game because there are important narrative chunks that happen throughout the game. Yeah, what are, guys, I've always I've always wondered this because I know what the answer is for me, but what are some movies that kind of embody the feeling we're going for? <laughs> the opening scene of Blade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the action version of it for sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Underworld. No, I mean that's not. I'll say underworld. Underworld, but not the not the one everybody knows with the vampires and werewolves. The one with Timothy Leary, where they're like mobsters in Chicago. Oh, it's a really good movie. Okay, I mean, yeah, I like. I think Judgment Night is a good one. That's uh, that soundtrack is just banging, and Faith No More's on it. But yeah, um, yeah, that is uh, that's one of the movies I think of. The Usual Suspects a little bit. Memento. Mm-hmm. Those are those are movies that kind of jump. Seven is a great example. Those are just the movies that have that sort of like feel that we're going for. I think. Yeah, I I would totally agree. And then add, uh, Dark City and then City of Lost Children. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. You know, most people that grew up in our time probably have seen all those films, so they're they're definitely good touchstones. Uh, I would agree. So. As we mentioned there, the players themselves are going to be taking on alter egos, um, which will play in the course of the game. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about character design and how that works for people, again, who are a bit unfamiliar with role-playing. Sure. It's fairly easy in this system. The different characters have templates, basically, and uh, things like the architect, the criminal, the stranger, and you assign your scores to your character. You don't really roll them, and different templates have a, a bonus or a negative there and then you get to choose your moves which again you know as as uh, jason was saying earlier they're based on faith and more songs for each each different template and from there a name maybe a few sentences about who you think you are or something that you remember and that's about it it's it's pretty straightforward and we think fairly simple mm-hmm. for anybody new to role-playing games to get into because you don't have to roll a bunch of numbers and then add up a bunch of things for you know, a different set of uh, abilities that your character has and then go and look at what weapons you want. It's like, it's, it's not really like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you can get rolling playing a character easily. It's all kind of laid out there for you. Yet, without assigning things like race, creed, orientation, anything like that, right? You make all that up for yourself. Who your character is or who you make up or is what you make up and what you want them to be. But as far as like the statistics are concerned, very simple, very straightforward. Yeah, I think again, <laughs> that's another big attraction to me, uh, the system to me because um, it seems to be the older I get, the less I like really complicated rule sets. And <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> um, one of the things I suppose, again, coming back to the, as if we're talking about this from the point of view of people who are new to it, not uh, just Faith and the More fans, I'm guessing even with these, you know, even with it being straightforward and so on, it still might be. A kind of daunting prospect to play a role-playing game for the first time. I was just wondering if you had any tips or advice for people who may be thinking about trying it out, and maybe even people that are a bit 
shy and self-conscious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, there is a, I'm going to say a hurdle you have to get over in order to just put yourself in the mindset to try this. Just being completely honest, it's it's a little, it's not just daunting, it's also, it can feel embarrassing, I guess, like getting up and singing in front of people, right? Because you're going to be the center of attention at some point in time. And I think the most difficult thing about becoming a role player is getting over that first hurdle of saying, okay, at some point in time, I am going to be asked to do something that may seem embarrassing to me. And that goes from being daunting to being fun uh, at some point in your first couple of games. You're just like, holy cow, this is actually really, it's a release of some sort to, to just embrace the idea that I am the center of attention I am making decisions that will affect the story and the outcome for everyone and hopefully affect their level of fun as well. And so just being willing to overcome the embarrassment the first couple times is the, is the biggest trick. You know, I, I, I've always enjoyed role-playing, going so far as to playing a lot of vampire LARPs where you're physically embodying the character at times, putting on costumes and everything like that. Um, I did that for a number of years in my 20s and 30s and just really enjoyed it. I, you know, that's that's a step too far for a lot of people, but sitting around a table first off with a couple of friends, you know, start by playing with friends or acquaintances who are not going to, you don't feel like you're going to be judged by, and just look at it as an opportunity to escape. Uh, that's one of the, the best things about role-playing games is the form of escapism that also requires creativity rather than just watching someone on screen. Mm-hmm. So embrace the idea of escaping, embrace being able to, to be embarrassed and have fun with that, and then really... The biggest key, I think, and I tell my daughter this when she's going to start playing or she has started playing, think of a character that you like from, you know, whether it's an anime or a movie or a book that you're reading and adopt a characteristic of that character because that is something that's familiar. You're not going to be struggling to come up with what this character means, uh, but it's also an ability to break out of yourself and embody somebody else for a little bit. So take what you like from things that you've seen or read or heard and Try playing with that first. It's, it makes it a lot easier. Um, and I'll give an example of this. The uh, first time, no, second time I ran this particular game, uh, a buddy of mine who definitely is less on the role-playing side and more on the gamer side decided that he was going to play the character called, which one was he? I think he was the soldier. And he said, you know what I'm going to do to get in the mindset of this character who is so different from me, I'm going to base him off of Nick Cage from The Rock. So <laughs> he basically said, that's the character. He, he changed the name and changed a little bit of the story along the way, but he looked like him, he acted like him, and it was a lot of fun for him to sort of break out of himself and play someone totally different. And I think that's a great way to just get your feet wet in, in the genre, personally. Yeah, and I, I agree with you when it about meeting up with people that you you know well. Because that thing, one of the things I find most rewarding about role-playing is like when you do something as a character and the, the whole table laughs. Uh-huh. Now, if you were kind of self-conscious, you might think, oh no, I don't want the whole table to laugh at something I'm doing or saying. But you're getting an immediate reaction from people around you and you can see how their, their expressions change and all that. And I just think that's one of the most exciting and rewarding things that you know you get from from role playing and I, th- I do think as well the more you throw yourself in it and just try and get past like you say that past that first moment of you know that seems a bit silly the more you can grab it by the scruff of the neck the more fun you're going to get out of it and the more rewarding it'll be and I actually think if you've got somebody at the table it really goes for it as well sometimes that'll encourage other people you've got to be slightly careful because you don't want one player to completely <laughs> dominate the, the table but to me, I always find that's, that kind of encourages other people to kind of engage with you in character as well. So, yeah, so I agree with that. That's that's all great advice to MD for whatever role-playing game, but hopefully Faith and More fans will go for it. Great. <laughs> Even better, it would be nice if some role-players pick this up and become Faith No More fans. Well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> 100%. The door swings both ways. That would be, that would be great. Yeah. The one person we haven't really talked about is the Game Master, or in your game, I believe it's a narrator, you call it. Do you think this game is one which people who have never Game Mastered or narrated before would be easily able to pick up and run for their friends? I think anyone who wants to give this a shot as a narrator will do an amazing job, but that's just because I'm super positive and I believe in everyone's ability to be creative. So if you want to be the narrator, do it. You'll do great. I believe in you. 
but mostly kind of as a, what Ward was was saying, as the narrator, you do have a, a, a few more additional responsibilities, um, mostly of like how you kind of control the people around the players and uh, the way certain moves work that are unique to being the narrator. But beyond that, it's uh, mostly if you still want to be creative and you still want to help tell the story and you want to tell a story with other people, and if you're just okay juggling just a few more extra things, then you're going to crush it. You, you'll you'll totally get it. I think as well, if you like, if playing one character isn't good enough for you, <laughs> I think that's the, the GM's job is uh, they get you to play lots of different, all the kind of different characters that populate the world. So yeah, if you're if you're really into that stuff, then it's a great uh, role to play in. Uh, it, it's one thing I've always heard because you know there's the whole joke of like forever GM, and some players are like, or some GMs are like, oh, I never get to be the player, or vice versa. I've always looked at. Yeah, being a player is awesome. But if you're the GM, it's like you're multiple players. You get to do multiple characters. And being playing characters is super fun, so you just get to play more of them, which makes it even more fun. Yeah. I mean, I've GM'd most of the time mm-hmm. in games. Not all the time, but um, yeah, I find it really, really rewarding, especially as well. One of the things I quite like to do is at the end of a session, ask the players what it was that they enjoyed in it and, and get the feedback, because then you know and what things they didn't like in it as well, because then you kind of get a feel for the the table and what people want and you can I'm not saying you constantly do the same thing I don't mean that at all but if you know what your players like and don't like then you're going to tailor a, a better experience every single time and to be honest most people are on your you know, <laughs> unless you've got somebody that really doesn't isn't into it in which case they shouldn't really play that's what I would say if you were totally against the concept don't do it but most players are, are on your side they want this to go well and they want it to be as exciting an experience for them as well so yeah, this is very co role playing should be this way, but it's very cooperative, very collaborative. I mean, even even though the narrator, GM, DM is throwing the challenges at the players, they're doing it in a way that they want to be fun for the players. And everyone's on board with that. You know, they want it to be fun, they want it to be challenging, and they want it to be fun and challenging for everyone. And just on the side of the GM, we have kind of covered it a bit already about the the rules can you give a rough idea of how many pages of rules they've kind of got to read to understand it yeah so the rules and character creation is all done in under 20 pages it's the i guess i would say the second section of the book and the character rules section takes up about 10 pages and the narrator rules takes up about 10 pages and these are zine size pages so they're half of a normal size book Mm -hmm. so there is not a lot of content to get ramped up into the system and start playing there, you know, there's some some stuff in there that is makes those pages longer, like the descriptions of the different playbooks or archetypes that you can play. But the rules themselves take up very little of the book. It's uh, it's 100 and I think 11 pages right now, and only about between 20 and 30 of that is rules related. Most of those rules are not numbers. It's more along the lines of here are concepts to introduce or things that you want to integrate into your game or into your narration style. And primarily, we wanted to create this system such that it supported the story we were trying to tell, but it's also a system you could play for another game if you wanted to. So if you wanted to play, let's take Valheim as an example, Vikings who wake up halfway between life and death, you could use this system to do that, tell that kind of story through the discovery mechanism and the statistics that we provide. Uh, If you wanted to do something where you are aliens who or humans who la- crash land on an alien planet and don't know what's going on, you could do that through this discovery <laughs> mechanism empowered by the apocalypse. It's really a system that rewards creativity, doesn't focus a lot on math, and it wants you to jump in and create the story as you go. And that's really what we built outside of the story that we're also trying to tell that re- revolves around the Real Thing album. Absolutely. And of course, apart from the main sale, uh, which is that it's instantly accessible to most people that basically means that you can then dedicate the rest of the the book to the adventure that you're and the, the scenario that you're creating mm-hmm. i was wondering roughly how many hours of play you would expect players to have from the adventure roughly probably about 12 on the on the minimum level you can probably get three solid sessions out of it uh, but on the upward side you could do probably up to 20 maybe 24 if you guys really want to just delve into everything possible within the scenario yeah I, I think it's a bit of an unfair question for me to be honest because it really depends doesn't it <laughs> uh, i suppose i know that i think about it it really depends on how into the characters that the people get so yeah there are people that will just like game it and try and 
get through the, the situation. But there's other people who will get into the real nitty-gritty of their characters. And so, yeah, it, I suppose it's it's always quite elastic. It's quite hard to tell that um, for any game, actually. <laughs> and we kind of decided that way on purpose. Like, okay, you know, some people are going to pick it up and run through it. And that's totally fine. You know, do... Do what you want to do at your table. There's there's no wrong way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the scenario just it's full of different options mm-hmm. and full of different potential outcomes, and it's all completely based upon the direction the players go in their discoveries and how you as a GM are able to wrap those discoveries uh, around the narrative we've provided. And if you're like, I don't like this part of the narrative, I'm going to throw it out and do this instead. Do it. Do that. If it works at your table for your game. We're just giving you an example to follow. And, you know, what you do is what you do. And we encourage that. Mm-hmm. And tying back to the kind of source material of the music, I was wondering, do you use musical cues in adventure at all? Like, would you recommend GMs maybe play an appropriate track from the album before a specific scene? I actually, uh, short answer is yes, but I actually think Piercy should jump in on this one. Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, I guess considering the, the different chapters, in the book are specific songs off of the real thing album um that might help in that scenario but um it, it really depends on what's going on and i know uh for one of the backer levels if we get to a certain goal in that uh, we'll create a uh, what are they a playlist on spotify that people can use during each of the different scenes and scenarios in the book but as far as like what you must play anything from the 90s you know obviously faith no more but then anything else, you know, that, that 90s grunge to industrial, just like rock and roll scene, anything that is uh, irreverent and uh, passionate, it's going to work well in the scenario. Yeah, and I think it's, it's worth noting for, you know, non-Midwestern, that we're, we're, we're all Midwesterners at, at heart. I think, James, you're from the Midwest, right? I'm originally from the Midwest, even though I do not, lo- I no longer live there. Yeah. We are, you know, we only have the experiences that we do and the biases that we do. So, you know, we when we've run this game, it's been very rock and roll, you know, heavy metal, grunge feel to it. Uh, but I think you could take the same story, and we even allude to this in the book, and say, you know, this has a West Coast rap feel to it, or an Eastern Europe metal edge that that we don't really understand from that time period because we didn't experience it. So we we recommend that people put together their own playlist. Their music is core to the story. There's a DJ that features very strongly in the story. There's you know a a lot of music focus in particular chapters of this and it's really just dependent on where you're from who you are and what your table responds well to i think yeah motifs with the music and the setting um are not unique to one genre even though heavily inspired of course but (laughs) doesn't happen and that's one of the great things about faith no more and a game is they are genre breaking right everything we just mentioned they have some flavor of at some point in, time in their their musical careers so i love faith no more for that reason too is even if you're not a faith no more fan you can be familiar with the style of at least some of their music mm-hmm. i was just wondering as well for those people who are more experienced gms um game masters people like myself who like to can create their own stories and adventures are there tips and tools in the book to let them continue the story? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm going to expand on this a little bit. I love the question. As I mentioned earlier, the, there's that 20 to 30 pages of material for running the adventure and running the game. That could be expanded on a lot. And we include a number of tools, a number of ideas, a number of systems in there to allow you to run any game you want to, either in conjunction with the story that we've told or outside of that you can do anything you want with it and that's actually one of the things i'm working on next is fleshing that out a little bit more maybe even to um add a, add a couple of pages for more tips and tricks for folks that want to run this game beyond what we have included inside the the material itself there is a really strong chance that we are going to follow up on the game with our own story which is going to be based on follow-up faith no more albums uh, the real thing is just the beginning uh, for us, and we hope to to lead into Angel Dust, you know, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, and see where it goes from there. Oh, brilliant. That's great. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah, yeah so the, the Kickstarter goes live on the 15th of March, which hopefully this podcast, you should be hearing it then. That's when I'm going to release it. Um, so if you're listening to this now, please go check it out. I mean, I'm guessing this, is up, this must be just such an exciting time for you all. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the campaign then and the products that you have to offer and for them that it's 
listening to this on YouTube just now, you'll have seen throughout the show, I'll have all the images from that campaign, but also you're on your Twitter, um, so check it out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're listening to this, please go check out the campaign, back it. Um, all your dreams will come true if you back the project. So uh, we have the core book itself. We will have a, a digital version, and then the paperback version is like, like Ward had said, it's like classic zine style representing kind of the era of which this is inspired by. We will have a special edition, which has the iconic Faith No More uh, fish, and it also has some iconography that's unique to the real thing uh, on a gold foil stamped cover. And we, we will have custom dice that we're trying to get made, you know, for anyone that's played a Power of the Apocalypse, you understand there's 2D6, so we want to have a special Faith No More one unique to the real thing. Um, we're going to have stickers. We're going to start with two stickers that represent the core book style and the limited edition style. Uh, and then we were dancing around with having another one that backers can help us create. And speaking of stickers, anyone that backs the physical edition day one will get unique 90s-style holographic stickers. If you're a backer and if we're successful, everyone that's day one physical backer and above, you get one of these stickers that they're only getting for backing day one. Yeah, we're also getting, uh, we're trying to get made a mask, you know, because, you know, Plague Times, great to have a mask in your back pocket. That's referencing, you know, the Gimp, an iconic you know, Face No More character. <laughs> and then uh, also we're going to do a T-shirt that has the um, the hand and the star in the eye that we that is inspired from the real thing in Epic, but we've made custom specifically that's on the cover for the real thing. And then, hey, maybe some awesome stretch goals have really cool stuff for everyone that uh, helps this become super successful. Yeah, I've been really impressed by the design of it. Oh, thank you. Obviously, as you say, it's uh, riffing on the um, the epic video in particular, but yeah, really, I'm genuinely um, imp- impressed by it. And I love the look of those dice in particular. That, that does it really excite me. Yeah, they're great. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm going to say, uh, James mentioned we're trying to get made. Uh, we have already found our production person, partner. We've got all the pricing done and everything. So if we are successful, they will get made. Right. That's why I said trying because we. <laughs> I mean, Ward is one hundred percent correct. We like we've got we already have the people we're working with. We already have everything ready to go. If and when we're funded, then we will pull the trigger and everything. There's always that part of me that's like cautiously optimistic. So, but yes, Ward is correct. Fantastic. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, finally, I suppose because it's faith no more, and um, we've been talking about. Um, I was thinking of bringing the conversation full circle by. Just asking, obviously you mentioned earlier on that the, the game has been authorised by the band themselves. I was wondering if you'd be able to give any insight into how involved they were. I know it wasn't really directly, it wasn't like you were on the phone to them or anything. And I'm presuming from what you said at the top, they're not really tabletop gamers themselves because they, were, they weren't really familiar with the concept, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, there, there were a few conversations back and forth with Tim, who, from what we understand, he was talking with, with the guys. And just to get you get out, massage out what exactly we were getting at, and talking with them and what we're to do and you know when they when they got the concept and, and thanks to james for being able to explain role-playing games to people who don't really know what they are um it explained it in a way it came about in a way that they're like oh okay we understand what that is and i think really they wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to take advantage of them which completely understand and, and we're not we're hoping that uh, if anything out of this and uh we can get to uh, certain levels of funding that there is some sort of paying it forward to the band that are on rough times right now. We want to want to do our part to make sure that they they get respect. And you know this wouldn't be happening without them, for the love of them, and the willingness to say sure. It's really you know really uh, surprised us, and uh, we've just been going gangbusters ever since. I would be yeah beside myself <laughs> getting that kind of communication. So yeah, <laughs> sorry I'm a real geek about that. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good, well, and, that's, and that's why we're hoping this goes really well. Um, so you know, go out there and back it because it it is in support of the band too. You know, if you don't, if you're not a not familiar with Faith No More, uh, don't know their music, go check them out. They're one of the best bands that have ever existed. Yeah, in my humble opinion. Yeah, they're just incredible. Their back catalogs. Yeah, it's just great albums, <laughs> great music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For those familiar with uh, other types of music from the time period and just a little tidbit of information, if you go back far enough in the Faith No More catalog, you run into Courtney Love. So that's just weird and cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, there you go. They're still good friends with... Uh... Yeah, I think it's Roddy in particular uh, as friends with us, I believe. Mm-hmm. In support of the band, I would say not only check out their music, but also go go to their merch store. They've got a lot of great stuff there. 
Um, it's been a rough time for musical artists across the world um, due to COVID. And a lot of them make the majority of their living on tours. And they've not been able to do that for a couple of years now, at least not uh, in any normal capacity. So anything you can do to support them online and uh, share their music, uh, check out their merch, um, all that sort of stuff, go do that because the music, the music is what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a bad two years for music, uh, at least on tour. Yeah. Just to add to that, um, one of the things that they did early on in the pandemic was they actually sold, sold some merchandise for the roadies, um, the kind of people mm-hmm. that would have been helping them out in the tour or something. I thought that was really, I don't remember seeing anybody else doing that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really thoughtful of them. Kind of shows you the, the measure of the band, I suppose. They're, they're good at heart. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I've seen them live before. I've supported a lot of the projects and just, I, I've always been blown away by just how they are as people and how um, they love their fans. At the same time as they're like deriding them and being, you know, um, kind of these uh, comical uh, crap heads on stage, which they're not really that type of people, right? That's just like the shtick, right? They got a great shtick when they're live and I love it. They're, they're giving you the jolts at the same time as, you know, giving you a great experience. Um, and, I, and I think they're like they have a great sense of humor. They've just got a, a great sensibility about music. They really care about the people who support them. So, like, go support them. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And for folks in the greater UK area, I think Roddy Bottom's band is touring that area here pretty soon. So if you want to check out Man on Man, there's some there's some live music being played by one of the Faith No More members. That's true. Yep. Yeah, I think it's mentioned on Roddy's uh, social media if you follow him on uh, Twitter or Instagram, as I do. Yeah, the, t- the tour dates are up, so... Yeah, exciting times. <laughs> so I just keep keeping my fingers crossed. We, we get a follow up to Saul Invictus one day. That's that's my big hope because <laughs> I love that album. Really good. Yeah, that would be great. So well, so I thank you guys for joining me to discuss this. It's a bit of a dream come true for me. Um, but as I said, with the crossover between the two things that I love. As mentioned, you can find this project in Kickstarter, and I'll dro- I'll drop the links to both that and the real things social media accounts and the notes wherever you're hearing this also if you're one of my regular listeners and i've never heard faith anymore as the guy said please go and check out their music the real thing angel dust and king for a day full for a lifetime those three albums i would say are great great places to start so yeah please go and check them out and support them as he as the guy said there so thanks again to jason ward jason Pearcy, and james mosingo for joining me in this conversation thanks again guys And until next time, keep on living the life of die.